podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode, Group F, France. Today, we're heading to Paris to speak with Matt Spiro about the France national team. Matt is a Paris-based writer and TV journalist. He's the author of a very well-received book on Les Bleus, entitled Sacre Bleu, From Zidane to Mbappe, A Football Journey. Now, the central theme of Matt's book is that France have had these two seismic World Cup victories in 1998 and 2018. But in the 20 years between those two tournaments, France suffered a series of humiliations, setbacks, low points, including being beaten by Senegal on the opening day of the 2002 World Cup in South Korea, and then bickering amongst themselves in South Africa in 2010. But they bounced back in 2018. And it's an incredible story, and they now have a new hero in Kylian Mbappe, who Matt points out wasn't even born when the current France coach Didier Deschamps lifted the trophy of the World Cup in 1998. Now, it's no surprise that Deschamps France go into these Euros as the favourites, not least because of the form of Mbappe this season. He's been in incredible form for PSG. But there are still a few questions that need to be answered, and we'll go into those with Matt. So grab a glass of pastis, stick in your headphones, as we find out all about France with Matt Spiro. Matt, we're talking about France ahead of the Euros. France are the world champions. And um, it, it strikes me that it's been pretty calm, actually, in France with the national team the last couple of years since the World Cup. It hasn't been this sort of cycle of crises that we've had in the past. What's, what's the mood generally ahead of the Euros? Yeah, well, Gavin, you're right. Uh, we've seen so many ups and downs, haven't we, over the last 20 years or so. We're kind of waiting for the, for the implosion to happen. But um, it, it, it does look like Didier Deschamps has a, a pretty happy camp. Um, obviously, winning the World Cup in, in 2018 was, was a massive achievement and has brought a huge amount of positivity uh, in France towards the national team. Um, French public had sort of fallen out of love with, with the national team through those turbulent years under, under Raymond Dominic and um, could have gone either way really in, in, in 2018. Deschamps, you know, the group stage didn't go well. Deschamps was coming under fire quite a lot. There was a lot of talk that Zidane would come in and, and replace him and then everything sort of changed with that game in, uh, in Kazan against Argentina and uh, Mbappe exploded. France went on to win the World Cup and I think, yeah, I think they're in a very strong position because since uh, since 2018, there's a huge, I mean, there is a huge amount of talent at the moment in France. So Deschamps has got that, he's got that spine. Um, you know, Hugo Loris, still still the main man, still the captain in goal. You've got Varane, you've got Pogba and of course Mbappe and Griezmann. Um, so he can sort of, you know, build a new team around that. And um, Things have things have gone smoothly. They had they had one bad defeat uh, in the qualifiers away in Turkey, which was um, in June time, where France have, have traditionally had had a few problems. When I think a lot of the, the players are maybe ready to clock off on holiday, and uh, um, they they went down in Turkey, but managed to uh, to turn things around to to, to win the group. And uh, all in all, all in all, they're, con- they're they're consistent. I mean, there is still the debate in France that the team's not playing. Um, as uh, 
sort of entertaining attacking football that, that many people feel they should be given all the attacking talent that they have at their disposal. And Deschamps remains pragmatic. He remains intent on keeping that, keeping that balance and keeping the harmony uh, within the team. But like I say, the results are still good. So, so people are still happy. Yeah, I mean, Deschamps does seem to be this, yeah, this arch pragmatist with his selections. And, and you're right, he's got all this talent. But he does still seem to stick to this uh, formation that he has and this, this system that he has. And, and he, I get the impression, I don't know if this is true in, in, in actually in the press conferences, but the ones that I've seen of him online is that he, he sort of, he seems a bit miffed with the media actually asking him questions and questioning his approach because he's sort of like, I've won the, the World Cup as a, as a player and a manager. I've won the Euros as a player. I now may, may win the, the Euros as a, as a coach as well. But he's sort of got this attitude of, what are you asking me these questions for? And I got the impression in the autumn, in the 2020 Nations League games, when he, he played with a back three and he sort of had this experiment. And it was almost as if he was saying to the media, Look, here's a here's a little argument for you to have. Yeah, you know, go off and have an argument about a back three or a back four. Um, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to play with a back four at the Euros. But you go off and have this little argument and, and and keep yourselves happy. But I know what I'm doing. Is that is that how he sort of is he a little bit disdainful of the media in that respect? I don't know if he's disdainful of the media. I think, you know, as as an Englishman living in France, I always find it quite quite interesting because obviously, you know, we've not had. Um, very much success since since 1966 and um, I find it funny that you know the French are never really happy um, uh, you know they're, they're world champions but um, if they have a you know a one nil win over Albania or or you know they don't put five past Moldova you know they'll be they'll, they'll be very harsh in in the press and, and the media are, are very quick to to question Deschamps tactics and his uh, his pragmatism so I, I think I think Deschamps um, feels that um, he is he's under scrutiny, under the spotlight too much, given everything that that, that he's achieved. Um, and I think the line of questioning, you know, it's it's been pretty consistent through the years. He, he gets questioned about the inclusion of Olivier Giroud all the time. Um, we're approaching this big tournament, and of course, Karim Benzema uh, producing the best football of, of his career. So those questions are, are, are coming up again. Um, I think the switch to a back three, I mean, you're, you're right. He's, he's changed very little tactically. Um, he's sticking with, with very much the, the same formation. It came at a time when um, we had so many, and we, you know, we do at the moment have so many centre-backs that are just outstanding, young French centre-backs. Upa Meccano was playing incredibly uh, at the time in the Champions League. He wanted to give him a chance. Um, and, you know, that, I think that's one area as well that France will need to look at, the full-backs, um, Pavar and Hernandez are, are very good defensively. Um, we know that Pavar can, you know, once in a lifetime will produce a, a goal of the tournament. But you know, the two of them are not are not going to bring that much going forward. Um, so I think Deschamps was 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 keen to look at alternative systems, also in terms of in terms of the wide areas, because you know Pavar and Hernandez are players who can play as centre backs, so they're sort of fullbacks. Not necessarily by default, but they're not, you know, they're not flying fullbacks like a, a Furlan Mendy might be. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I think he wanted to look at the different options, but I think you're right. Um, he he moved quickly back to a to a back four, and the system is is very much the same as it as it was in in 2018 now. Yeah, and he does seem to. I mean, you mentioned Giroud. He does seem to have his favourites. 
um, players that he likes. And, and Musa Sissoko was in the in the March squad, um, still going strong, um, despite all the other options. And he does also, and he's got his favourites, but he's also got these players that he, he won't pick. He seems to, you know, he's got this idea that, I mean, Gareth Southgate talks about it a lot, about wanting to have good people as well as good players in the squad and people who, who don't upset the balance of the you know the, the team spirit in the squad so Benzema is a long-standing disagreement and, and unlikely to to be anywhere near the squad in the summer despite like you said being in, in the form of his life Laporte at Man City is an interesting guy isn't he because he's a um, very talented centre-back not playing that much at Man City now but but uh, one who's been overlooked by um, by Deschamps does he hold grudges? It, it does seem to me that he sort of has these sort of individual sort of battles with people, or is he just uh, the arch pragmatist? And the other guy I should mention is Rabio, Adrian Rabio, who was who was the, the midfielder at Juventus, who was left out of the World Cup squad in 2018, and then uh, refused to go on standby, and then seemed to be frozen out by Deschamps, but has been brought back in for for recent games so there does seem to be an element of you know, he, he can sort of thaw relations with players if he needs to yeah that's right Rabio is most definitely the counter example and I, I was surprised that Deshaun brought Rabio back as quickly as he did um he has looked good Rabio um in the games he's played for France and it does look like he's gonna be the one replacing Blaise Matuidi on on that sort of left-sided midfield role um but I would say, you know, Deschamps would deny this, but he he holds a grudge. Absolutely. He holds grudges against players. Um, you know, that can date back to, to Samir Nasri back in, in 2013 when Nasri um, was miffed about being, being left out of the uh, World Cup second leg playoff there against Ukraine when France needed to, to come back from, from two down and was, according to Deschamps, in a way, behaved in a pretty selfish way on, on, on the bench. And that, you know, for Deschamps, that was it. That was the, you know, he, he said this, it was a critical time in, uh, you know, in France's campaign, in France's history. They had to get into the World Cup. And for Deschamps, Nasri was just thinking about himself and he couldn't, Deschamps could not get his head around that. Um, he said ever since he, he joined, you know, France is, is the highest thing that, 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 that any player can can aim for it's the biggest privilege and everything um everything france is above everything so you you know you can't put anything ahead of that and adrian rabio not being prepared to to be a reserve on on the list that was very very serious in deschamps mind and uh, he came out and said that so by bringing rabio back yes uh, it, it shows that he can forgive and and forget um but as far as you know like you said as far as benzema is concerned benzema will not play for france again under Didier Deschamps, so probably won't play for France again. Um, you look at certain other cases, Emmerich Laporte, I mean, you know, last season, people, all my friends in England were saying he was the best centre-back in the Premier League, and it was a, a joke that he wasn't getting in, in the France side. So um, clearly there is something beyond the technical side that is preventing Deschamps from bringing Laporte in. He obviously doesn't think that he is the person that he wants in terms of co team cohesion, team team spirit, and Alexander Lacazette is is another example. I mean, he's he's faded away as far as his France chances are concerned in in, in the last three years, and and I think I, I think it, it's it's the same because Lacazette at times has definitely warranted a, a place in in the France squad, if not in the France side, and and Deschamps has yeah, decided that he's not the right man for the harmony of the squad. And that, you know, that is so important. And Musa Sissoko, you mentioned, is always the, the example as, you know, the, the ultimate sort of team player. And I think he is a guy 
who can do a job in a lot of positions, but above all, um, you know, helps a lot off the pitch with that cohesion. And we saw, we saw Adil Rami was the choice for the for the 2018 World Cup, even though he was nowhere near. I don't think you know one of the best four centre backs in France, but he he was a great lad. He wasn't going to complain if he was uh, on the bench every game. Um, and uh, yeah, by all accounts, he helped uh, he helped a lot in terms of the team spirit, not least by setting off a fire alarm in, in the middle of the night and getting Deschamps out of the hotel in his pajamas. <laughs> so. So, yeah, it's, it's about having a happy camp. You know, I had a long interview with Guy Stefan, the assistant coach to Deschamps, and he really wanted to stress the fact that, you know, we're together for a month and it's so important that everybody gets on and that and they, it is a happy place because we've seen, you know, in Neissner in South Africa, it certainly wasn't a happy place. And uh, there have been other examples as well where the, the, the tournament just hasn't been a good experience for France. Yeah. What's, what's the future for Deschamps now? Because he's contracted until 2022, Will he go on beyond that? Because there's, it's not so much the elephant in the room, but I think there's Zidane lurking in the background. Presumably Zidane would be the, the first choice of the Federation to take over from Deschamps. Is it, is it a question of Deschamps deciding when he wants to, to go? Or will, he, will, his, will his hand be forced after this tournament? I think we'll have to, you know, we'll have to wait and see. He's effectively got two major tournaments. Um, and, you know, if France flop at the Euros, then the, the pressure will be on come, come the World Cup in, in Qatar. I mean, he's obviously earned a huge amount of credit. I'm not sure, but part of me thinks, you know, he will be satisfied anyway. He will have done, um, he will have done his bit by 2022. But he is an incredibly sort of hungry, hungry manager. I mean, he's already got an unbelievable record as a, as a player and as a coach. And, you know, he's young enough to carry on. I and mean, we've seen Joachim Love staying for... For, for, for a lot of time with Germany. So but I, I do feel that it will be time. It will be time for a change. If, you know, if, if France win the Euros or the World Cup again, you know, it's going to be impossible really for the Federation to push them out. But I think there will be a, a parting of, of ways because I think there'll be, there'll be a need for a sort of a, a fresh wave, a new manager and a different type of football. I think France will be ready by then for, for a different type of football. Sure. I want to talk about tactics and, and Deschamps approach first is just to take a quick break right back talking with Matt about the French national team Matt we, we we talked about the back three this experiment in in the autumn that he had um, partly because you, as you say there's lots of centre-back options and he wanted to try them out uh, and Meccano the um the Leipzig centre-back was was one of those given a debut but is it fair to say that he'll he'll stick with what he knows? He'll stick with the back four, and then the real discussion is about how he, he sets out his forward line. Is it a four three three or a four four two, or uh, you know, a lone striker like Giroud? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, the the, the number of centre backs is is incredible. I, I wonder if the the decision to switch to a back three was also the chance just to get to get a look to you know to blood uh, guys like Upper Meccano. Uh, We've got Jules Koundé, who's, who's, who's pushing for a place, and he's been outstanding at, at Seville as well. You mentioned Emerick Laporte. Um, just looking through the list now. So, I mean, for me, Varane is obviously the, the number one centre-back. Titi has um, had injury problems, so Titi's place is going to go to either Kimpembe or, or Clement Longley. And Kurt Zuma, you know, English fans might, might be surprised to see Kurt Zuma in there. He's not been necessarily a mainstay for Chelsea, but I think... 
Um, you know, without wanting to downplay his his ability, I think he's he's in the Musa Sissoko bracket in that he's a good good soldier, as they like to say here in France, that, that Didier Deschamps um, knows he can count on. So, yeah, huge number of uh, of centre backs in terms of in terms of the tactics, it didn't work particularly well. The the, the back three, we know the back four does work, and if you're going to have Lucas Hernandez at a left back and Benjamin Pavard at right back, which is uh, certainly looking the case, then it, you know, it has to be a back four because those guys can't play as, as wing-backs. I mean, we saw Hernandez playing recently for, for Bayern at, at centre-back against PSG, and he was probably Bayern's best player at the, uh, at the Parc des Princes. And that versatility is, is, is useful as well. So as well as all these centre-backs, you've got Hernandez and Pavard who can fill in at centre-back. So, you know, they're, 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 they're in a fantastic position in, in that respect. But for me, Deschamps is playing a back four and... I think in his head wants to attack the tournament with the same tactics that that he won the World Cup. That's effectively why well, it depends how <laughs> how you want to sort of line them up. It can be a four three three or a four two three one, but you've got a back four. You've got Pogba and Conte um, in front of the back four. Mbappe has produced his best football with France, playing on that right wing like he like he did in the World Cup. You've got Olivier Giroud, who's still the main man uh, in the centre forward position. Griezmann behind him. And then you've got that left-sided role, which uh, I mentioned earlier could be Adrian Rabiot, who has has come in. I mean, Rabiot's a central player. He's not a left-sided player, or you know, not a left-winger anyway, so it's not a natural fit. But then Matuidi wasn't necessarily a natural fit either, because he's also a central player. But it but it did work very well, and it means that France can, can have sort of this patient build-up up the left-hand side and then suddenly switch the player across and use the the pace of Kylian Mbappe to, to get in behind. So I, I think in his head, that is the first choice team. I think there are question marks, as there always seem to be question marks about Olivier Giroud, because again, he's not playing very much at, at Chelsea. He's 34, he'll turn 35 soon after the tournament. So, you know, is he, is he capable of playing you know, a major role as France's centre-forward from the off? That... That, that is a big question. But again, he's, Deschamps got options. He's a big fan of Ousmane Dembele, who has struggled at times to, to, to fulfil his potential at Barcelona, but is having a pretty good time of it at the moment and has done, done well with France in, in recent months. Kingsley Coleman um, is, is another Deschamps favourite. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they've, 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 they've got options. I, I would say, Gavin, the, the concern as well is who, who would play centre-forward if, if Giroud isn't isn't up to it because Anthony Martial has been inconsistent he would be the obvious yeah. choice but he's been inconsistent and you had quite a few players coming back into contention in March I mean Martial is a guy who's come been, been brought back into the camp Dembele's back from injury Thomas Lamar came back into the, the March World Cup qualifiers and seemed to play quite well in that wide attacking role Kingsley Coman adds a lot of pace there's a lot of options in the wide attacking roles but centre forward seems to be Giroud or then maybe Ben Yedder is that that fair there doesn't seem the Monaco centre forward who's had a few had a pretty good season with Monaco it, it is but there aren't any other options at the centre forward role is that fair um yeah Mbappe is 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 another option but I think isn't isn't effective I mean we've seen him once or twice do quite well actually as a centre forward for France he's he often struggles with uh with that position at, at PSG so I, I don't think I think there's too much danger that you're using your most dangerous weapon or you're wasting your most dangerous weapon because Mbappe loves to have space to run into. And if he's playing as a centre forward and gets the ball too often with his back to goal, he can have very sort of frustrating periods where 
he'll, you know, his flicks won't come off. Um, so, you know, I think Mbappe needs that space to run into. I think he'll start, he could start wide right or wide left. And yeah, Wissam Benyeda, I mean, Wissam Benyeda's consistency over the last almost a decade now, I mean, he just, you know, he scores 15 plus league goals every season. He's been good at Monaco. Uh, he lost his place in, in the last couple of weeks. Niko Kovac has been playing uh, Steve, Steven Jovetic. But, he, you know, he's a wonderful finisher with some Ben Yedda. I'd I, I struggle to see Ben Yedda as a starting player for France. I think he's a good player uh, to come on. And I'd be more inclined uh, or I'd be less surprised to see, see Anthony Martial playing in, in, in that centre-forward position, to be honest. Um, so, look, yeah, he's got options. We haven't mentioned Marcus Turam, um, who's, who's had a bit, you know, he's had, he's, he's had a few chances, but again, mainly playing as a, as a wide attacker. Fekir and uh, Florian Tovan seem to be on the outer. Certainly Tovan hasn't been good enough this season with, with Marseille. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're the options. But it's interesting. He is, you know, he is quite reliant on Olivier Giroud and Giroud brings the best out of Antoine Griezmann. And that, that, that is also, you know, a big factor, I think. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Turam and, and some of the, you know, quite a few players who've been given debuts in the last year or so. Um, a guy we haven't mentioned is Kamavinga, this, this um, precocious talent at Rennes. Is, is he a possibility for, the, for the, the summer tournament or do you think he'll, he's won for the future, he's now been blooded? Um, and a lot of speculation about his, his sort of future yeah. club position and everything um, with transfer speculation. But he, he was given a debut in, uh, in the autumn. There weren't any debuts in March seem to be pretty settled, uh, a settled squad. So are there any names that you think could make it as a surprise in, in the run-up to the tournament? I think if Kamavinga was to be picked, it would be for the experience rather. I mean, the truth is with Kamavinga is he's had a really difficult season with Ren. He was, he was so, so good when he burst onto the scene last year, um, got his France debut. He, he actually started this season in quite eye-catching fashion, got his France debut scored a ridiculously good goal sort of eight minutes in. He is a, a phenomenally talented footballer who is so precocious at 17. Now, he was already looking like one of the best players in Liga. Um, and yeah, he's, for, for, for whatever reason, whether it's expectations, whether it's, you know, him finding it difficult to suddenly be a, a major player with, with Ren playing week in, week out, um, change of status with France. He, he has really, he has really struggled with Ren and, uh, I think there's very, very little chance he will he will be picked. Um, I think he's going to be a big, big player in the future. But uh, yeah, Deschamps, Deschamps has his has his 23. You know, I think I think it's so difficult as well to pick a 23. You know, if France had 20 players and then Deschamps had to kind of make up the rest, then why not bring Camavinga along? But um, places are so hard to come by. And we haven't mentioned Tongi Ndombele, who's uh, who's who's come in and and done very well. And I think Ndombele is a real option as a, you know, he'll definitely be in the squad. And I think he's a real option as a starter, even if it will be tricky because Pogba and Conte are, are obviously uh, nailed on for, for central positions. But um, your original question, surprises, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I mean, you've got, you've got a guy at a niece who is a fantastically gifted striker, Amin Guiri, who unfortunately for him has just got injured at a time where he was, he was in really good form. I mean, in terms of, you know, taking a, a punt or, or bringing a young player in to give him experience and to start betting him in for the future, I think Guiri um, 
will will be a, a France player in the future. But but again, you know, that means you'd have to leave out a uh, um, maybe a, a Ben Yedder or, or you know a player a player like that. And I just don't see Deschamps doing that. No, no. I mean, he has got so many options. I, I want to talk a little bit more about some wider issues in French football. But first, let's take another break. Right, back talking French football with, with Matt. Matt, I want to go back to the 98 World Cup. Um, I mean, I was there in France for the five, six weeks of the tournament. And it was uh, an incredible tournament in that the French public, at the start, the French public seemed a little indifferent towards the team. And, and as the results went their way, they, they got more involved with the team and, and, the, and the country got behind the team. And, and then we ended up in Paris with the victory over Brazil. And then, you know, these hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of Paris that, that night. Um, and it seemed to be a, a, a momentous moment for the country in that it was um, a, a, a really significant moment for, for France that this multicultural team led by Zidane, I mean, captained by Deschamps, but inspired by Zidane, this son of immigrants, that they could achieve success for the country. Was it that significant? And has it proved significant, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was hugely significant in terms of the way football is is perceived and the way football has, has grown in France. You know, football is... It's the number one sport in most countries, or certainly a lot of countries around the world, and uh, it's not, it's the number one sport in France, and and has been for quite some time. I'd say in terms of people playing it and stuff. Of course, you can say well in south in the southwest they all love rugby, and uh, there are other big sports, cycling, etc. In France, but you know football for what it is, this uh, the, you know this 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 simple sport, easy to play. Um, the French the French have 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 always gone in for it, but it was always viewed as a, a very working class sport and anybody who, who liked football, you know, was, was, was seen, was seen to be a little bit um, lower class and certainly not part of the intellectual or the, uh, the, the, the bourgeois um, part of France. People used to be a little bit ashamed of, of having L'Equipe newspaper. And then, uh, yeah, in 1998, it, it suddenly became fashionable and, and that team had so much to do with that. I mean, France had already won a, a major tournament in, in 1984 when Platini um, was was incredible uh, as they won the Euros, um, but that didn't have the same sort of uh, effect from the media or 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 you know in, internationally. People who who followed football obviously obviously liked it and it was seen as a good scout for the for, for the French. But 1998 was was a moment, yeah, where where, where France sat up and I think recognised um, what the modern France was about at the time. He talked about the the multicultural makeup of the team. I mean that that was absolutely huge, and it was the first time that France kind of saw immigration in a, in, a, in a positive light and thought, well, actually, you know, these guys are are bringing so much from their different cultures, and we're all coming together and actually, you know, making a, a fantastic team. So, you know, symbolically, it was it was it was beautiful. Absolutely, no question about that. Um, and the players who were involved in it um, have been revered. Ever since, um, I mean that's that's normal. You know, as an Englishman, we we think about Bobby Moore, we think about the players in in '66. But in France, it, it it was different. I mean, they were the first footballing heroes, um, these guys, and uh, yeah, it it changed the way people in France saw football. It suddenly became fashionable, and has remained and has remained very popular and very fashionable ever since. I mean, a lot has changed in in, in the twenty years. And I thought what was interesting in, in 2018 was that France won the World Cup 
um, again with an extremely uh, multicultural team. But whereas in 1998, people were talking about the origins of the players all the time, saying, oh, this is incredible. We've got a guy from Armenia, a guy from Senegal, a guy from Poland. This time, nobody was talking about the origins. And I think it was, you know, a generation on, these players were, were seen, yes, they're from different parts of the world or their parents or grandparents are, but they were just seen as French. And, and nobody really talked about the fact that this was, you know, a multicultural team. It was just a, it was just a France team. And, you know, Paul Pogba said that, I think, before the final. And, uh, and that's sort of how it should be. You know, that, that, that's how it should be. Emmanuel Petit, when I spoke to him about the, the Black Blanc Burr slogan, um, he said he had a lot of trouble with it because he said, you know, for me, they were just my teammates. They were just my friends. They, was, they weren't black guys, Arab guys, white guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad to say sort of 20 years on, it's, it's something that doesn't really get commented on now. Mm, that's really interesting because I, I would have thought the 2018 team would be talked about in the same way in a sense because you still have, I mean, it's the same across Europe in terms of politics, that immigration and race is, is now a very divisive issue, um, and particularly at the moment. And and it's likely to be a big issue in, in, in the future in France with Le Pen, Marine Le Pen is still a, a popular figure and, and considering a, a run for the presidency again. But the team seems to have risen above that. I wanted to, to talk about Kylian Mbappe because he's still only, what, 22, but he seems to be um, a real leader. And a, a very eloquent young man. I saw him interviewed a few times this season on TV in English. Is, is he sort of likely to step up as the symbol of a national team and provide that leadership in the future? Or is there, are there other figures that can, can do that? But he seems to be very central to the future of French football. Yeah, he is. He, I, I think there's absolutely no question about that. I mean, Kylian Mbappe is, uh, he, you know, he's obviously fast, but he's got a fast mind. That, that, that's what's incredible. You see him, you know, already when he was 18 or 17, winning the league at Monaco, he, his interviews were outstanding. I mean, he, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't fall into any traps that any interviewers were, were, were laying for him. And um, he's an incredibly focused and incredibly ambitious young man. He wants to, 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 to write his name into footballing history. He already has to, to an extent, but he's, he's not stopping there. You know, after winning the World Cup in 2018, he was already win talking about winning multiple World Cups. Um, so I think he is definitely definitely going to be the, uh, the flag bearer for the French national team for the next decade or so. And I think, I think he can do, yeah, a huge amount of good. He already has done a huge amount of good um, given his, uh, his origins or the origins of, of his parents, given that he comes from a, um, a, a Paris suburb that has um, usually a very, very negative press. Um, and he's brought a huge amount of positivity to, to Bondi and to the uh, Seine-Saint-Denis area, the, conglomeration of, of suburbs north northeast of Paris so yeah he's he's an incredibly positive uh, figure the French I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast the French are never happy and um, he gets he gets criticism quite a lot which people might find quite quite hard to understand outside of France um, he can appear self-centered he can appear big-headed something that we didn't see in the first few years of his career but you know he he talks openly about it. He says, look, my status has changed now. I'm a main guy at Paris Saint-Germain. I have to take more responsibility. And he sees himself already as a, as a world superstar. And that is probably part of the reason why he is, he is so successful. I think he's, he's done better, actually, since Pochettino has come in. And I think Pochettino may be a very positive uh, influence on him because we're seeing a much more sort of uh, simple side to his game. Mbappe, 
is much less effective when he complicates things, when he tries to play a bit like Neymar, step overs, holds onto the ball for, for too long. But just to, just to add in one, one point, because I think he is unquestionably the, the future of the French national team. The concern at the moment that a few people have in France is that the, the main men in the team, the core of the team is at the moment Varane, Pogba, Griezmann. You can add Loris in because he's, he's the captain. And that World Cup win in 2018 was centred around those. They, they were the star men. They were the core players. And there's a feeling that perhaps Kylian Mbappe isn't completely integrated, isn't completely accepted as part of the leadership group, if you like, in that, in that France team. And yet he is going to be the one attracting all the attention. So we know players have, have egos. We know that... Uh, the balance of, of, of a team is so important. And I think that's going to be something to look out for this summer and, uh, and going ahead next year. Is, uh, you know, is Mbappe fully accepted in, in the team or do they see him as something of a prima donna who is getting too big for his boots? Is he bigger than the, than the French national team? I don't know. Maybe I'm, I've been living in France too long and I'm trying to create problems where there aren't any, but that's something that people are, are looking out for. Well, I think, I think it's interesting because there is this wider discussion at the moment about teams that are getting too big for their leagues and in the last um a few days that we're talking there's been this breakaway super league announced and with an actual concrete structure in place and significantly Paris Saint-Germain have not been part of that initial group of 12 clubs they may well join in the future but it strikes me that it was significant that the PSG weren't part of that because at the moment French club football is is in a pretty precarious place, isn't it, at the moment, because of the, a, a collapsed TV deal. And, and PSG are owned by uh, Qatar. Qatar are behind BN Sports, and they have their own TV deals with UEFA. So there, are, there may well be complex reasons for why PSG haven't joined this breakaway Super League yet. What's the feeling in, in France towards PSG and, and Mbappe and Neymar as their sort of key, sort of uh, marquee players? It's a complex situation for the national team as well, isn't it? Because most of the players are either based abroad or they're with PSG. There's not many, I can't think of any in the starting lineup from from Ligue 1 clubs yeah. other than, than PSG. It, it, it's, are things really destabil, unstable in, in French football at the moment? There are so many issues, aren't there? Um, so much certainly going on behind the scenes at the moment. I think... In France, uh, people are, are pleased, initially pleased, to, to learn that PSG or even Marseille or Lyon um, have not been involved or have not gone ahead and, uh, and signed up for the, uh, for the Super League. I think people are, are also very much aware that a lot is going on. I mean, you mentioned uh, the Qatari ownership, the, uh, the relationships and the deals that they have with, 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 uh, with UEFA and, and with FIFA that are, that are ongoing, financial fair play situations. So people are not naive. They know that PSG would I think inevitably have to join a Super League if, 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 if a Super League happened because, you know, it's already hard for them to keep Mbappe and, and Neymar and uh, Marquinhos and Verratti. And it would be impossible, I think, to, to, to keep players like that if, um, if they're just going to be playing Bordeaux and, uh, and Dijon and, uh, and, and the rest of the French, uh, the rest of the French teams. Um, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, the season has been unbelievably difficult because, because of the TV deal blowing up, like you said, media pro not, not paying 
the money that, that, that they were due. This was supposed to be a brave new dawn for French football with a TV deal in excess of 1 billion euros for the first time, but it didn't materialise. Canal Plus have sort of saved the day and they'll be leading, I think, the discussions this summer when a new TV deal is brokered. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a huge amount of uncertainty. And uh, what, what is slightly ironic is that despite all of this, we've had the best or we're having the most exciting season we've had in years. The title race is, is brilliant. Whether that is... Well, I think it's two reasons. I think PSG have had a difficult season because they didn't have a they didn't have a preseason. They they, they kicked on straight after the Champions League final, and um, and they've clearly been more. There's been more motivation, whether it's subconscious or not, in certain Champions League games compared to certain league one games. But the other teams need to get credit as well. You know, Lille, Monaco, and uh, and Lyon have really improved. Monaco are looking incredibly strong. Where well, you've got a very strong young group of players, and that's what. That's what French football needs. They need, you know, they need the Monaco's, Marseille's, Lyons to, 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 to put some, you know, strong teams together and to comp- compete with Paris Saint-Germain. But we know that in the current, with the current model um, of PSG's budget being uh, multiple times bigger than most of the other teams, it's, it's nigh on impossible, isn't it, to, to, to compete with PSG. So there's an awareness that something has to change in France. People don't like at all. Well, people. I'm speaking for every single person, but the vast majority don't like these uh, Super League plans. But I would say it hasn't been met with the same vehemence or you know uh, fierce resistance that that uh, as it has in, in in England for the moment. Right, that's interesting um, because it seems to be the one one thing that's united in the entire country that's been divided for for many years is, is this idea of a Super League. But it's uh, it's been an extraordinary development, one that we'll come back to and talk uh, a lot about in the future. Um, just finally, Matt, what's your prediction for France for the tournament? They're in a very tough group with Germany, uh, with Portugal, the team that beat them in the Euro 2016 final uh, in, in Paris and Hungary. So a, a tough group. What's your what's your expectation and what's your, your prediction for how France will fare in the summer? Um, it's very hard to call, isn't it? Because there are so many good teams in the Euros. It's a very sort of strong, condensed tournament compared compared to the World Cup. And even like you say, Gavin, the group stage. I mean, it's uh, it's ferocious, isn't it? They play Germany in Germany. Um, Portugal have been a little bit of a bet noir, although they did they did beat them um, in the Nations League. It's a really good performance in, in, in Lisbon, I think, and Hungary. You know, I, I don't think we should just ignore Hungary because I think they can take points in, in that group as well. So my prediction, because I'm always, I'm, I'm always very positive, I think they can get to the semi-final at least. I am a bit concerned. I, I think if the Euros had happened when they were supposed to happen, I would have been a bit more confident because Deschamps, he's kept so much continuity. He's really wanted to keep the core of the side, just changing one or two players. And I think that... That might well have worked in 2020. An extra year on, you know, don't want to put it all on Olivier Giroud, who's going to be nearly 35. But, I, you know, I wonder if he's going to be a bit over the hill. Um, there are certain players. Hugo Lloris, his form is, is, is not particularly good. It's been a strange season for, for, for a lot of people, a lot, for a lot of teams and a lot of countries. So I think they'll go beyond the semis. Beaten finalists, there you go, Gavin. I, I think France will, will, will go very, very close. I think they'll get to the final. They'll come up. They'll come up slightly short, but they'll be. They'll. They're, they're a very, very strong team, and I do think they will get through that group, despite the fact that it's a. It's a very tough one. That's a bold prediction, but I think that's a very fair one as well, Matt. Thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating to to delve a little bit deeper into French football than than, than people normally do. That's uh, it's really, really interesting, and 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 um, 
I wish France all the best for the summer and hopefully we will meet up at some point in a stadium full of fans um, and the Euros can, can really take shape. Thanks ever so much for your time. That would be nice. Thank you, Gavin. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you liked it and you want to find out more, there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship. You can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever I release a new episode. And you can find out more great sports podcasts on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just head to sport-social.co.uk. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. Follow and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.